This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. So yeah, so we're back in Hosea today. Before we start on Hosea though, we're going to be looking at the context of where Hosea fits into God's big story. We're going to be looking over over the overview of a Bible, starting from the very beginning, going to the very end. So bear with me, it's not going to take long. You think, oh, that's a long book, but don't worry. Okay, so we're going to kick off in Genesis. So the book of Genesis, start of the Bible. Within the first few chapters of the Bible, we're automatically introduced to this concept of marriage. God, God creates man. God creates women, and he thinks, actually, they're great together. They complement each other. This is good. Because he, he saw man on his own. He said, it's not good for man to be alone. So he, he thought, actually, he needs to be in partnership with someone. And so he created this wonderful thing called marriage. So we're introduced right from the start of the Bible, right from the start of God's creation plan for humans, for people. Actually, he says, actually, marriage is here at the forefront of it, and it's a good thing. Within a few chapters later, we're, we're then we come aware of this concept of God alluding to um, this, there's a coming Messiah. There's someone who's going to be coming to rescue his people, he's, and he's going to be called the Son of God. And so, so we've got this concept of marriage, and we've got this concept of the Son coming. And actually, the same, in the same sense that when God looked at Adam, he said, it's not good to be alone. He looked at his son and said, actually, I'm going to give him a great bride, a glorious bride. So this is Genesis. We get into Exodus. In Exodus chapter 24, we have God's first um, kind of marriage covenant with his people. Um, So you've got Moses, and God's speaking to Moses, and basically what goes on is almost like those vows on the wedding day that says, all I am, I give to you. God says, I will be your God, and you will be my people. And so they enter into this marriage covenant. The nation of Israel is called to be God's bride, his glorious bride, and here they are married. But what happens... Within 40 days and 40 nights later, when Moses comes back down from the mountain, God's people have committed adultery. They've gone out of the marriage bed and gone to another God, and they're worshipping this golden calf. And that's so straight from the offset. From the very beginning, we get this kind of wonderful marriage of God and his people, but then we've got God's people running off unfaithfully to chase after other gods. And you think, ah. Oh, Come on, guys, it's only been 40 nights. That's, that's barely a honeymoon. <laughs> and then what, what precedes that is we get to... We get to so Moses goes on, he, he dies. Joshua takes over, leading the nation of Israel. And Joshua's a good man, leading the people well, leads them into the promised land. And then Joshua dies, and when Joshua dies, the people fall away again. They go running after the gods of the other nations. Um, <laughs> any, any bed that they can jump in, they will. So what happens is God says, all right, I'm going to send you leaders, which we call judges. So these judges come. The judge comes, preaches God to the people, turns the nation around back to God. Judge dies. People fall away from God. Judge comes, preaches. Judge dies. They fall away from God. And it goes on and on and on. All these judges come, 
preach God, they t- the people turn back to God and say, yeah, we want to we wanna be in a marriage covenant with him. And then next thing we know, they die and the people go off again. And so it happens again and again. We get to, and then we get to the point where God says, all right, I won't just give you a leader, I'll give you a king, a king to rule. And so we have King David, and he looks so promising. This guy looks great. And people are thinking, could, be, could this be the one that these utterances of the Son of God, could this be him? But even David, King David, falls away so, so, um, so badly. Falls into adultery, sleeps with Bathsheba, not his wife. In fact, she's a wife to someone else, and then he kills her husband. And he's unfaithful to his God. You've got his son, Solomon, and you think, great, this guy looks good. He's wrote this wonderful book, Song of Songs, which is all about marriage, all about love, all about passionate relationship and man and woman. And you think, yeah, he's got it. But even he gets caught up in this adulterous heart, this unfaithful heart, running after women. And you think, oh, when's, when is this promised Messiah going to come? Then you get into the kings, and king after king after king after king leads the people astray. Every now and again, you get a good one. You think, yes, the nation's turning around. They're going to come and be a faithful bride to their God. But they die. People fall away again. The next king leads them into unfaithfulness again. So what happens is we have hundreds of years of this bride, this nation of Israel, that God has called to be his special people, to call to be my people, to represent me on earth. You're going to be the ones that all nations are going to look to you and say, wow, the living God is with you. He's called them to be his bride, but yet they, they have a heart of unfaithfulness again and again and again. And then Jesus appears on the scene. Jesus comes and he starts speaking himself as being a bridegroom, about himself as being a bridegroom. And suddenly, ears twig and thinking, actually, could this be the son that was promised? Could this, this be the one that is promised? And he is. But he will die. But what's amazing is he won't just die for no reason. He will die for his bride. You see, his passionate love for his bride uh, brings him to his death. But he rises again. He's not dead permanently. He, and then he goes back to heaven to be with his father and wait for his bride to come. He sends his spirit to earth to actually be with his people. To say, actually, my spirit is not just here as a promise like a wedding ring. So the spirit is a bit like a wedding ring where it's like, I'm promising myself to you. But his spirit is also there to say, actually... I'm beautifying you for the wedding day. That you're going to be ready, you're going to be prepared, and you're going to be a glorious bride on the wedding day. So we get to the book of Acts, and with Acts we've got the church. So the first, so no longer is God saying, actually, my people are only going to be the nation of Israel. God is now saying, you know what? Doors are flung wide open. The Gentiles can come in. Every nation of the earth, every tongue, every tribe, every ethnicity, every people group, every economic uh, scale you're on, actually, you're in. You are welcome. And so the doors are flung wide open. We think, amazing, this is great. This is the bride of Christ. This is going to be glorious. But even the church, again and again and again, fall away. Then we get to Revelation, and you read, actually, this is the final day. The final day that, the, the, that all creation is waiting for, this glorious wedding day, when actually the bride is going to meet the gr- bridegroom. They're going to be unified together, and there's going to be no more crying, no more tears, no more death, and actually this is going to be glorious. And that is the day that all creation, creation is waiting for. And guys, this is a quick overview of the Bible, of God desperately wanting a people that he can call his bride and say, you are my cherished one, you're my precious one, I love you, be faithful to me. And this is the context that the book of Hosea comes into. 
This story of a father who has a son. This son who's going to have a bride. He is a great lover, but his his beloved is a whore. His beloved is unfaithful. You see, Hosea's story, the story we're going to look at now, it's the story of God's people. In this small book, it's, it's captured what's gone on throughout the whole Bible, throughout all creation. You see, for those of you who don't know the story of Hosea, if you missed Paul's preachers or it's unfamiliar to you, we'll just do a quick recap. So Hosea is told by God to marry a prostitute. Wow. So he goes and marries this lady called Goma. Goma has three kids, none of which are we expecting them to be Hosea's. She continues to be unfaithful. She deserts him. And then she eventually becomes a slave. Hosea doesn't give up, though. He's never given up. He conti- even through all of that, he loved her and he pursued her and he, he cherished her. And he said, I, I want you. I want you to be mine. So Hosea chases after her. He buys her back. And he com- commits himself to her once again. Guys... This is outrageous. This is absolutely outrageous. You think, the question that I'm sure most people in this room have asked themselves, either today or the first time they've read the book of Hosea, is surely, but would God really ask Hosea, someone who faithfully loves him, to marry a whore? Would God do that? God who loves his people. If you ask one of you to do it, would you do it? Anyone? Any volunteers? No. I feel I would, I would hate it. And then the other question is, surely this is just imagery or this is just symbolism of, of what God wants to convey? Maybe, but actually that's a question that's relevant to me because actually this is, if we were to throw this question back at Hosea and say, Hosea, does God really love you if he's doing this? Actually the question, he, I'm sure, his response would be, why would the Lord himself love a people so unfaithful such as us? Why would he love us? The holy God. The God who is pure and righteous. Why would he love us? Who We go and commit ourselves to everyone and anything over and over again. And then come back and he accepts us. And, and then we go off again and he comes back and he accepts us. And you think, why would the holy, loving God, love a people such as us. Surely he would want a bride that's more fitting and purposeful. Surely, actually, if he made a bride out of the angels, because actually, the angels are good and, and holy, surely that would be better. But we are the unfaithful ones. We are the prostitutes in this story. You see, Gomer's story is the church's story. And the church's story is our story, because we are the church. The church isn't a building, as you can tell, this is not a church building we're in. But actually, us here, those of us who say um, we're Christians and we follow Jesus, we are the church. The Bible is quite clear at that. So the book of Hosea clearly displays an outrageous love that God has for his people. Outrageous. It's an absolute scandal. This message is not something that should be heard lightly. It shouldn't be something like, oh, yeah, yeah, Hosea asked God to marry a prostitute. Yeah, okay. Yeah, Jesus loves us. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. Actually, this message is scandalous. It's something that should be like, oh, this is a bit, 
I don't know what I think about this. This is a bit, this is a bit strong. This is a bit harsh. And you should feel that. That should be our response. Because this is a scandalous love that we've been called into. That we receive from the Lord. You see, the cross is a scandal. It's not right that the Son of God, who's not committed any sin, who's, who's pure and righteous before the Holy God, actually, that he should die for us. It is not right. But yet, this is the scandal that we've been called into. I'd say most of us probably find it easier to believe and probably less shocking that Jesus died for us than we would to hear that God asked um, Hosea to marry a whore. I would say that because I, actually even this morning, as we're singing some of those songs, and I know what I was going to pre- be preaching on today, I'm singing these songs and I'm thinking, God, why am I singing these words and they're not like astounding me? I'm thinking the fact that, why am I singing Jesus, you love me, or you went to the cross, and they're not like, whoa. And I'm thinking, I'm more shocked that God would ask Hosea to marry a prostitute than that actually Jesus would love me. And I think, this isn't right. Surely this is not right. So the question that I really want to ask today, the question that we're going to be looking at and kind of just really want you guys to kind of capture a bit of today is, do we share this outrageous love for his bride? Do we love the church in the same way that Jesus loves the church? Because actually Jesus was willing to lay his life down for his bride. But I would argue so many of us probably don't see the bride in the same way. I would say there's probably people in this room, and even if there's not people in this room, you would have heard this before, where people say, I would love the church, but, and there's a but in there. And there's things that have happened over the years, things that have gone on, which think, if only you knew what I've been through, then you would know why I don't love the church. You see, because over the years, the chances are you may have been hurt by being in church. The chances are there might have been Christians, people that say, I love Jesus, but actually what they might have done to you, you might, it might just bring pain. It might just bring, every time you think of it, you think, oh, discomfort, this kind of like sense of, just don't speak to me about that. That's just too painful to go near. And you look back through kind of, centuries, right back from when the first church started, but probably more so now with the media and kind of like the internet and we're kind of made more aware of things. Actually, we're full of stories in the church of um, affairs, corruption, where leaders are just after kind of getting money. So actually, put your credit card details here and Jesus will heal you. We hear those stories. We hear the um, stories of people just after power, actually a way to control people. And, and these stories are real. Not, I'm not here to say, actually, that those aren't happening. They're, they're real. I think this guy, some of you might recognize the face up here. Um, and this is just one example. His name's Michael, uh, I can't say his surname, but Michael Gillimucci. This guy was um, a leader in Hillsong. He, um, he, he wrote some great songs. And what was quite sad, in 2006, he announced to his family, he announced to the church that he had uh, terminal cancer and he was going to die. And it sparked off a real kind of movement of people saying, I'm gonna, uh, we're going to commit to praying for him. People committed money in terms of like, for um, this cause of cancer. And, and, um, and it, was a, it was a story that really gripped many. And he wrote, he wrote this song, um, 
And I believe that Your Mahila is a song that was really kind of an anthem for people who were struggling with um, physical health and, and issues that they wanted a healing from. And it really was like something that gripped many hearts. He, even in this picture, you see him, he's up on stage, he's performing with the oxygen mask. And then 2008, two years he, um, later, his dad had to get up and tell the world that actually he'd lied. There was no cancer. And it was all a lie. He lied because from the age of 16, he'd been struggling with porn. And actually, and then this story came up to cover that up. And it absolutely rocked many. And it's stories like this that again and again people hear and they think, this is why I don't love the church. But the thing is, actually, we're all guilty. This is a story that's upfront public, and you think this is an extreme story, but we're all guilty. We've all contributed to hurt in the church, because actually we've all done wrong. And these are some of the more greater examples I might have shared with you, but actually, there's smaller things actually we can feel hurt by as well. So there's things. There's times when we probably feel ignored. Times when we feel like overlooked. You think, oh, I wanted that, to do that in church. And, and you think, I've just been overlooked and no one knows about me. No, no one really cares about me. You might have felt bullied in church. There might be these little things, actually. All of us will have felt like that sense of, that sense of pain, that sense of, I've been let down. Is that me? Is that the pain coming through, yeah? Um, and so some of the phrases that you might have heard or might have even said yourself are, I love Jesus, but I just don't love the church. I've heard that. Or, I can still be a Christian and not be part of a church. Or, I can just meet up with my Christian mates. We can go to pubs together, go to cafe, we can talk about Jesus. And that's, that's my equivalent of church. These, these phrases, these comments... A bit like saying, if I said to my wife, Vic, Vic, you've got such a beautiful face. But you know what, your body, we need to do some work on that. that is, that's not very pretty. And you think, actually, you can imagine for every photo with the two of us, we've got, we've got the two of us, and like, actually, all photos, head down, are cut off. Because actually, I don't want anyone seeing the body, because, but the, fa- the face is fine for people to see. And that's kind of what it's, it's saying, like saying, I, I love Jesus, but not the church. Because Jesus goes as far to he doesn't see himself separate from the church. Because I think there's a great example, which only a few years ago, it suddenly hit me. I'd never read the Bible in this, uh, I've heard the story many times, but I never read it in such a way. The story of Saul, when he's, um, Saul is a guy in the book of Acts who's going around killing Christians, persecuting, he hates the name of Jesus, hates to the point of killing. And so he's going around killing Christians, murdering them, and doing anything he can to stop the name of Jesus spreading to others. Because he says, this isn't good. This is absolutely everything against what I am about. And then God comes and meets with him. Meets with him on the, on the roads and um, knocks him off his horse. And this voice from heaven comes down and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecute, persecuting my people? Is that what it says? No, it's not what it says. It says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He doesn't say, why are you persecuting my people? He sees himself so connected with his people, with his church, that actually the two are together. The body is connected to the head. Actually, when I say nice to meet you, I'm not saying nice to meet your head and not the rest of you. Actually, you're together, you're one. And it's the same with Jesus. He's saying, actually, I'm connected with my people. If you you only love me and not the church, and actually you're only loving a part of me, because actually the church is a part of me. 
So these statements of I love Jesus but don't love the church and I can still be a Christian and not be a part of the church, some of them have some half-truths in there, but they fall far short of the outrageous love that Jesus has for his church. Far short. So if Christ is willing to die for the church, even with all the faults and all the letdowns, all the affairs, all the corruption and all that, then surely we are called to love the church as well. Surely that has to be our response as well. We can't be sitting here saying, actually this is good enough for Jesus but not good enough for us. That, 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 does, that doesn't ring true with me. And, and this is why I feel quite passionate about this. This is something that actually from my teenage years, the love for the church, I, f- I feel God spoke to me about it and I feel like, yes, we need to love the church just like we love Jesus. So I think um, when I was 19, um, a long time ago now, I was, uh, I was in London, in the church in London, and the church leader said to me, come on, Andy, you need to preach. What are you going to preach on? I was like, I don't, I don't know. He said, well, what are you passionate about? I said, well, the church. And so he said, preach on that. So I, I preached from um, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. It says, his intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. This verse just absolutely stunned me. Because what we've got here, what we've got going on, is that he's saying that it's not through kind of himself, God doing his own mission and telling the world about himself just by what he's doing. He's saying through fallen sinners, people who have messed up and been unfaithful, it's through these people I'm going to choose to reveal myself to the whole world to reveal everything about me, my character, who I am, the manifold wisdom that I have. I'm going to use these people to show the world. And not only the world, he says, I'm going to choose to use these people to reveal myself to all the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms as well. So he's saying, actually, angels and demons are going to be looking on thinking, what is he doing? What is God doing using these people? And I read this verse and I was just like, whoa, God, this is amazing. Why, why would he use us? Surely the angels would be better. We read about the angels in the Bible, and every time an angel turns up, everyone's like, whoa, crazy. And you think, surely, actually, if he just used angels, he would get a much better success rate. Um, but he doesn't. He says, actually, it's through my fallen people, that for, through this bride that's been unfaithful to me, I'm going to choose to show the world my glory. And so that's the verse I preached on at 19. And, and I think since then, I've moved location twice, both times it's been because of church. Uh, I mean, the first term could be argued it's because of uni, but actually I chose my uni because of church. I went and enjoyed Howard and Naomi up in Manchester. And then I came down here again because to start off this church. And I think God has gripped me with a passion for the church because I think actually this is the, the channel that God has chosen to reveal himself to the whole world. Yes. And he's saying, commit yourself to the church. Commit yourself as a people to the bride because I love her and I laid down my life to, for her. Lay down your lives for her as well. So if you're sitting there and you're thinking, actually, you know what, this sounds great, but I do struggle to love the church. I do. Maybe because of hurts, maybe because of whatever. Then we'll go back to our, um, our man Hosea, and we're going to be working through chapter 3. There's three verses here, and each verse gives us some clear instruction of what we can do to love the church. So verse, verse 1, he calls us to love again. 
I'll turn around and read it. It's a bit bigger up there. So it says, the Lord said to me, so that's the Lord said to Hosea, go show your love to your wife again. That's Goma, the prostitute. Though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. Though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. That, the sacred raisin cakes are to... Okay, let me explain. They w- let me just explain. Uh, I wasn't going to go into that, but let's do it now. You're laughing. The sacred raisin cakes, are, they were they're part of the sacrifice to other gods. And that's what they're all about, but we won't go into those now. Um, so after the years that Hosea and Gomer had been married, the years of pain that Hosea had to go through, the years of rejection... Can you imagine, you go to your partner wanting to love them and they just don't love you back again and again and again and again. The rejection Hosea must have felt. The embarrassment as a man of God who's going around probably telling his friends about this glorious God that just look at him thinking, you can't even be loved by your wife. Why, if, if this God's so good, why would you have such a horrible marriage? The embarrassment he must have felt. And then he's got to raise three kids that he's looking at them thinking, you don't look like me, you don't look like me, and you definitely don't look like me. And you think, actually, he's raising three kids that, don't, that aren't his own. And you think, how difficult must that have been? And yet God says to him, look, go love her again. Go love her again. She's done nothing to deserve it, but go love her again. Guys, this is grace. This is glorious, wonderful Grace. It's unmerited forgiveness. It's, it's life. This love, un, unquenchable love, brings life. So we, there's a, the song, I think we're going to sing it a bit. It says, if grace is an ocean, then we're all sinking. And you think, if you've ever been um, either on the sea or even in the middle of the ocean, and you look around, and as far as you can see, you can just see water. You can't see any land. And you think, you try, you try and pitch yourself actually, okay, if that's what grace looks like, and you think, well, I can't see, where's my sin? No, 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 I can't, I can't see it over there. No, I can't see it over there. It says, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he's removed our transgressions from us. If grace is an ocean, then we're all sinking. See, God called Hosea to love his wife again, even though she'd been un- unfaithful, even though he'd been hurt and rejected, was he saying, actually, this is what my church and my bride do to me. I go back and I love them again. Because they're my wife, I love her, and actually, love is ultimately going to win. Love is going to bring life. So if if you're thinking, actually, I'm going to struggle to love again, then the consequence of that is actually the opposite happens. Legalism kicks in. Judgment, judging others, thinking, oh, that really annoy me. And eventually, death happens. Death in yourself. You, you start to die when actually you choose not to love and you choose to hold on to bitterness. Death comes. So, call to love again. Verse 2 goes on to say, So I brought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a home and a leaf of barley. So before you laugh again, let me just explain... A homoelectric barley is basically like a quantity of barley. Let's just leave it at that. So, um, so there's a cost. Love costs. You see, love always carries a cost. Because when you say you love someone 
or you love something, there's some, you're giving something up of yourself for another. Um, and costs will look very different to person to person. I mean, there will be lots of similarities as well. Um, so time, actually, because of love, you're saying, I'm, I'm going to give my wife my time. In the same way, I'm going to give the bride time. Energy, money. But I'd say probably one of the biggest ones in terms of cost for people who are especially struggling to love the church is pride. I'd say pride has probably kicked in. And it just it seeps in, it, it can be very subtle at first, and, and you don't think it's pride. Um, so it can be like, there can be the questions of, um, or the thoughts, should I say, of, but do they only want me for my money? I don't even like anyone here. You know what? No one even cares about me here. And these lies creep in, but actually what they are fueled by is pride rather than humility, and rather than actually being able to say, you know what? If there is an issue, I need to go speak to someone about it. You store it up inside, and that pride kicks in, saying, "Actually, these the people just don't understand me. They don't know what I'm going through. They don't, un, they don't understand this." And so we need to be very aware of pride. And actually, that for some of us, that might be the cost that we need to lay down today, and to say, "You know what, Jesus, I've let pride creep in. I've let, I've let it creep in, and say, I'm, that's the cost I'm going to give back to you, and say, I'm going to be humble before you, and, and say, I'm going to love the bride again." So whatever cost you might have to pay for the church, I can guarantee you that it is nowhere near the cost that Jesus had to give up for his bride. He gave him up, himself up fully for her. Um, so that physically, his death was a horrendous one. Death on the cross is a death that actually, there's a thousand deaths I would pick before that. So he went through the physical torture and, uh, and torment of being on the cross actually he went through the spiritual torment of being separated from his father the, the not feeling the love of the father was probably greater a greater pain a greater torment than actually the the physical torture he went through on the cross so we need let's keep that in mind actually if there is a cost we need to pay it's no nowhere near the cost that jesus had to pay for his bride it says in philippians chapter 2 it says though he was god he did not think of equality with god as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and he died a criminal's death on a cross. That's the cost that Jesus gave up for his bride. He gave up his position in heaven in a place where actually he was dwelling with his father. There was no pain no tears in heaven. And he said, all right, I'm going to give this all up. I'm going to humble myself. So actually people won't even recognize me as God. And I'm going, to, I'm going to become a man, become a baby even, where I have to be looked after by the very hands I've created. And you think, wow, this is the cost he paid for us. So we're called to love again. We're called to pay a cost. And then verse 3, we're called to commitment and faithfulness. So verse 3 says, Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will behave in the same way towards you. So this is Hosea entering into a kind of a fresh new covenant. It's, all, it's a bit like renewing the marriage vows with his wife. He's saying, you know what, I'm going to be totally committed to you. Even with all that you've done, I commit myself to you again. 
But he, says, he also says, actually, you need to leave your life behind, what you've went before. You need to recognize, actually, the love I give you is enough for you. You do not need to chase after anything else or go anywhere else. And in one sense, you might think, actually, that sounds a bit, a bit kind of like he's telling her what to do, a bit, a bit controlling if you want to go to that extreme. But I'd say, actually, it's very similar to what Jesus said to people. So Jesus, a number of times through the Gospels, he said to them, uh, you're forgiven. But he went on to say after that, now go and leave your life of sin behind. Because he's saying, actually, if you're, just, if you're just receiving my forgiveness and not actually leaving your life of sin behind, then actually you've not even accepted my forgiveness. You've not even accepted that. So he's saying, so Jesus says, you can leave that life of sin behind because actually what I offer you is all that you need. And that's what Hosea is saying to his wife. You do not need to chase after any others for satisfaction. Actually, all that you need, you can find in me as your husband. And that's what Hosea is saying to his wife. So he commits himself with an outrageous love to his wife that she does not deserve. And that is what's going to bring life to his wife. You see, such outrageous love is the only healing for such outrageous sin. But the response here is twofold. So we've got the response of Hosea, which we're called to commit ourselves to the church. And when I say church, let me just quickly explain, because um, the church is two kind of senses of the word church I'm using. You've got the, the local church and you've got the global church. So we're called to love the local church, and this is our local church here. If you're part of G1, this is your local church. You're called to love it and say, you know what, I'm going to commit to this people. I'm going to commit to this part of the bride and say, yeah, I'm with, I'm with these guys. I love these guys. I'm going to build relationships here because this is, this is what I'm going to commit to. So that's the local church. But then you've got the, the, the worldwide global church, which again, I think that's that, that whole image of like, people like us gathering all around the world to worship this one saviour, that image just grips me and I think, wow. And you, and you read about it in Revelations of just the multitudes before the throne worshipping Jesus from every tribe, every tongue, every language, every nation, worshipping Jesus and you think, wow, that's what we're called into. And so we're called to love both the local and the global and we're called to commit our lives and say, yes, we love the bride like Jesus loves the bride. We're going we're gonna to give ourselves, ourselves to her. So that's what Jose is doing. He's committing himself to the church. And he says, and this morning I'm saying, actually, guys, we need to commit ourselves to the church, both local and global. But it has to be out of love. If it's not out of love, it'll come out of duty. I've, and I fall that into sometimes when, when, I don't know, maybe when I'm tired or maybe when I feel like, I'm on every single rotor, and I think, oh, and you think, actually, I'm serving again, or I'm just attending G1C because I feel like I need to be there, and actually, Jesus is calling us into a loving relationship with his church. He's saying, actually, love the church. Actually, if you come to church with a sense of, you know what, I want to serve because actually I want to see this church grow and actually reach the lost and see the lost come in and saved. And actually this church will then be able to send out many into the world to, to see the global church grow. I think actually if you come to church with a heart like that to say, Jesus, I, I want to see your body be loved and, and grow, then actually the, the serving doesn't feel like so much a burden. The going, to, going out on another evening isn't so much a burden. It's a, it's a love thing. It's, a, it's almost like a date in, in, that, in that sense. You're saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give my time to, to go out with the church tonight and, you know, we're going to have a bit of fun. And, and, and I think, so I think if, you, if your attitude to, to serving and, and the road can be like that, then, then I think actually it changes everything. So that's Jose's response. But also we're called to have a, a response of Goma. So Goma's call was to leave your life of sin behind. Leave your unfaithfulness behind. And 
so in the sense this morning, I think there's a call for us to, to, leave that, um, to leave us in behind. So actually that could be very kind of individual sins, of, sins that we're not been talked about this morning, sins that have got nothing to do with loving the church. But again, I think there's a context of what we're talking about this morning where actually there's the sins of pride that have crept in to say, I can't love the church. Sins of unforgiveness, where actually people have hurt you in the past and it's still painful because you haven't been able to forgive properly. The sins of... Um, just unfaithfulness, where um, duty has, has crept in to kind of your attitude towards church, where everything's a burden, where everything's like, okay, I'm going to get myself up for church again today, rather than the joy. And guys, we need to be aware that those can be sins as well. We may not be up on stage with an oxygen mask on, telling everyone we've got cancer, but actually the sins that we've committed that have crept in, some very subtle and some more explicit, which just God's saying, you know what? You just need to seek forgiveness on that one and just come before me again. So, so he's calling us to respond like Hosea, to commit ourselves, but he's also to respond to like Goma, to say, leave your sins behind and, and come love the bride. Or love the groom in the sense of Goma coming back to Hosea. And I've touched on it a few times this morning, but guys, we've got a glorious day to look forward to. We have a wonderful day. I think I remember when me and Vic were preparing for our wedding day and there was a real sense of excitement as a builder built up to it. There was a real sense of, um, I won't say, I, I wasn't panicked at all actually, <laughs> but Vic might have been, you asked the wrong person here. But um, I think there's a real sense of like momentum and building up and you just think as things click together, as like all the plans are coming together, as people were planning, saying, yes, I'm coming. And you think, oh, yeah, I just can't wait. And then when that day comes, when me and Vic got married, it was just like, I just, such a great day. It was just wonderful. And I just think, this is what we've got called, waiting for us, and we're called to um, as a church. We've got this glorious wedding day when we get to meet our bridegroom. And that is what we're waiting for. That is what we're living for. Actually, everything we're doing now is for for eternity. And that's... That should be our attitude. Actually, we're called into a loving marriage with the, the Son of God. He, he, and he's going to meet us at the top of the aisle and say, you know what, I'm now yours. I commit myself fully to you. And you think, guys, this is what we've got to look forward to. In Revelations 21, it says this. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Ben, do you you want to come back up? Guys, I guess, I hope this morning, there's been a challenge that has come. A challenge to love the church like Jesus loves the church. To commit yourself to her. To love her in a way that isn't holding on to pains and, and letdowns. To love her like Goma loves, uh, Hosea loves Goma. What we're going to do is we're going to... In fact, if you could all stand... We are going to be, we're going to be taking communion. We're going to be, um, um, 
worshipping God. But I think, I think it's really important that we don't just go away from this morning um, the same. And I think it's really, it can be such a great thing, it's a real releasing thing to just be prayed for. Not because anyone who's praying for you is there's anything special about them, and they, they might be turn around and say, actually, can you pray for me as well? Because actually, some of the things that uh, come up this morning, they, they might feel, you know what, that's me as well. But I think, guys, I really um, just want to say, please don't go away from this morning just thinking, forget, forgetting what you've heard this morning. Please go away thinking, you know what, I want to love the church, and we just want to give an opportunity this morning to to pray for you. So. We'd really love to pray for a few things. I think one, firstly, if you're here this morning thinking, you know what, I don't know about loving the church, but I haven't even got to the point where I'm loving Jesus yet. I would love to know this Jesus and I'd love to meet with him. We'd love to pray for you. So if you want to meet Jesus for the first time and, and be, become part of the bride, we would love to pray with you. Because actually it's going to be the best decision you ever make. We'd love to pray for those here who are carrying hurts and pains, who have been hurt by the church in the past, who have been hurt by Christians, and you carry that kind of that pain whenever you think of it, and you think, oh, but that's, that's so painful. And there might be tears, but that's allowed. That's allowed. Oh, we'd love to pray for those of you who church has just become almost a burden, and actually you, you, are, you find yourself quickly falling into... Church is just something I do rather than it's something that I am. I'm a part of the bride rather than, rather than instead your attitude is church is something I go to. So if you're falling into that quite regularly, we'd love to pray with you. So actually your heart is turned in responses. You know what, Jesus, I love you and I love your bride because you're a part of your bride, that you two are together. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.